All right. I know I'm crazy listeners. We had a great 2019, didn't we? You know, I decided to take a little bit of a break. And in that break, I was thinking, what value can I bring my listeners? Because I know you guys trust me. I know that we've been through a whole lot together in our first um, year, us at the top of iTunes, almost 30 episodes in, in one year. I said, you know, we talk about divorce, remarriage, co-parenting, step-family stuff. Um, But I wanted to kind of cover something that hits every single one of us. I was scrolling on Facebook the other day, and I gained a lot of inspiration from Facebook. It's not a completely bad place. And um, one of my friends' timeline, he had this really interesting discussion about baby boomers. My parents are baby boomers. A lot of you listening, you yourselves may be baby boomers, um, or your parents may be baby boomers. I was like, all right, this is something that affects me. So I stopped to listen, and there was this gentleman on there. He was going in, but not in a bad way in a really good way. And he inspired me to reach out to him because I was like, dude, I need you to come and talk to my peeps. I need you to come and talk to my audience. We were talking finances. And you're asking, Naja, what does this have to do with the stuff that you normally talk about? Well, just hear me out, guys, because this is something that affects each and every one of us. Most of us have parents. Most of us are or are going to become parents. And many of us are in the sandwich generation. Sandwichers, what in the heck is that? That is the generation that that's what we are. Most of us are waiting till a little bit later to have children, to start families of our own. And our parents are aging out of the workforce. So that means we might be responsible for caring for our own small children and caring for our aging and elderly parents. That's a lot. That's a whole heck of a lot. And so Larvizo Wright was talking on Facebook and you know, when I see like an articulate person and he can check people in a way where he's not using profanity and he's being very educated, he's giving a super dope stance. I had to have him. So um, I forget what the initial post was, but Vizo and I are going get to get into a money discussion. And I'm so glad I got your attention. Thank you so much for tuning in to um, our second year of I Know I'm Crazy podcast with Naja Hall. I know I'm crazy. All right, Vizo, Vizo, what's happening, brother? How you doing today? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate being a part of the podcast today. This is really exciting. I'm glad you're here because I I don't want to spend too much on intros. And by the way, everyone, I'm going to tell you a lot about Vizo. Um, Check out on my blog, najahal.com slash blog. You can see everything on the podcast about him. And so, Vizo, one of the reasons I reached out to you was because of one of your comments. And you were basically, and and correct me if I'm wrong, you said boomers should get out of the way. The baby boomers, that is. So the younger generation, the more 21st century ready leaders can ascend across multiple industries. It's time. Everyone keeps saying Generation X and millennials aren't acquiring wealth and consuming at desired levels. But it's because the boomers won't move out of the way. So are you saying that these folks need to just go and retire and go away so that we can take over these jobs that they're dinosauring in? Um, part, <laughs> part, partly. Um, yeah. The, the, the way I couch that, and I, and I know that that sounds very cold. and It sounds, it sounds like, harsh. That sounds like somebody who doesn't um, value the people that have paved the way, the people that have taking care of us and got us to where we are today. That, that wasn't the intent. The intent was when you think about what we hear from our typical institutions, um, researchers, uh, economists, um, uh, newspapers, uh, media, news media outlets, a lot of things that you are here for people that are in their 20s, 30s, and 40s is you guys won't um, inherit wealth. You guys won't be uh, better off than the generation or the generations before you. You guys are not buying cars, you know, in your mid-20s. You're not buying houses by your late 30s. Um, and part of that is because over time, due to no fault of the, the, the Gen Z or the millennials, housing costs, food costs, college costs have, you know, really shot up astronomically. Mm-hmm. But the dynamic is we're dealing with the effects of that. But it wasn't our generation's 
that caused that to happen. It was actually the baby boomer generation. And it's not to lay blame. It's just to describe what has played out. So we weren't the ones who got really comfortable using credit cards in the 70s and 80s, early 60s. We weren't the ones that were owning banks and using derivatives and other exotic um, financial instruments that caused the Great Recession. Mm-hmm. But we are the ones that are paying $100,000 for a degree from University of Georgia. We're the ones paying half a million dollars for a house that 30 years ago cost 125000 But we're also here to the same standard to be the generation that's supposed to like rise up and do all these wonderful things, but we have all of these impediments. How is it the, I don't want to say the fault of the boomers. Of course not. Of course what do they not. have to do with the rising costs of housing, education? How is this their fault? Okay, so what I mean by that is right now, the generation that still holds all of the power, the people that are on the Federal Reserve, are they Generation X, Millennials, or are they Baby Boomers? The people who run banks, are they 35 or are they 55, 65? The people who have historically been in political office at the federal levels, people who have ran international monetary funds. They're not young people. So the people who have set the policies, the people who have allowed the status quo to maintain, the -hmm. generations that have allowed for the wealth gap to expand, it definitely wasn't the millennials or the It's not us. It's not us. And so it's definitely, so I'm definitely not saying all of this is their fault. But what I am saying is the ones who were at the table in positions of power for the last three or four decades, baby boomers. Mm. And just to define baby boomers for everyone that's listening. So I'm just going to read this because I got it off Google. Baby boomer is a term used to describe a person who was born between 1946 and 1964. The baby boomer generation makes up a substantial portion of the world's population, especially in developed nations, United States being one of them. It represents nearly 20% of the American public. My God, 20%. (laughs) So then what happens as these people are beginning to age out of the workforce? Those of them that either voluntarily or involuntarily leave Vizo, wh- where do they go? And what is that? How is that going to affect me in my pocket? Sure. So ideally what we would like to see is as those individuals are retiring, um, maybe going off to start other business or maybe doing contractor work or they're spending time with their grandkids. Maybe they're traveling more. Um, What we would like to see is as these jobs transform due to advancing technology, new industries that are being stood up, um, the the GE that we saw 30 years ago will be a different GE. Microsoft will be completely different than what we see, what we saw back in the 80s than what we're going to see in the 2020s and 2030s. And so Mm -hmm. as as those people begin to retire from boards, People like you and I will now be serving on boards of not-for-profits and for-profit corporations. That doesn't mean that we're all waiting in the wings saying, like, once they're all out of the way, we can all just kind of rise and get promoted. And so some of us, that may be the case. Like mm-hmm. in the, utility, the utilities industries, that, that might be the case. In the healthcare industry, that might be the case because people tend right. to work for the same company 20, 30, 40 years. So you will see people leaving and they will create an opportunity for people to rise up, assume greater job responsibilities and get promotions. But what you will also see is the way the investing communities operate, there will be a shift. Okay, so, let's talk about investing. Oh, okay. okay, that's a good one. All right, how, where is a shift going to occur with the investment communities. And can you talk, wait, before that, because speak to us on a kindergarten level, because a lot of people might not know exactly what you're talking about. Me being one of them. (laughs) So so what is the investment community? Who does that affect? And then how, how, yeah, answer that first and foremost. Okay, so so of course, as you know, um, there's levels to everything. So you have your small dollar investors, you have your, you know, people who maybe have hundreds of thousands of dollars in play in investable assets and you have your big block investors, you know, you have your wealthy people and you have your institutional size investors. So, you know, for people like you and I, we may be going, yeah, I'm going to grab 50 shares of Disney or 30 shares of Winnebago, but there right. are other people they're grabbing tens of thousands of shares. Right. Mm-hmm. And so what you're going to start to see is 
there's a lot of money in 401ks. There's a lot of money in, in Roth IRAs and uh, in, in, uh, in uh, traditional IRAs as well. And so once people start getting to that 60, 65, 70 years of age, the actual laws on the book is going to start requiring that these individuals start taking distributions. And so what that means is they're going to start liquidating some of those invested uh, options they have. It may be in uh, features for oil and other commodities like gold. It may be in companies like Disney. It may be in companies like Costco. But what you're going to see is money is going to come out of like your stock equities, like a stake in a company, and they're mm -hmm. going to be moved to more safer options. And a lot of times before people even get to a place to where they're ready to retire, maybe five, 10, some people 15 years before, if they're very conservative in their investment options, mm -hmm. they're already moving their money to like bonds out from stocks. Cause so stocks when they risky. move their money, when they, let's just say they're, so basically you're saying they're going to start moving their money in droves, maybe at the same time. Potentially, and, that's possible. And if something like that happens, then that, does that lower the value for someone like me, or does that create a more of a demand for the market for that particular it, investment? It, it, can, it, can, it can do either or. One dynamic that I want us to uh, keep ourselves honest about is it depends on what's happening with the economy and where we are in the cyclical nature of the economy. So, for mm -hmm. example, over the next decade, the odds of us likely incurring or experiencing some form of a recession it's probably more likely than not. That doesn't mean we're going to experience what we experienced in 2007, 2008, where we had the global financial mm. crisis. Yeah. And so that one was really complicated, and I can get into the details of that. But I want to give you a little bit of statistics around the cyclical nature yes. of, of We like of statistics. Recession. Yeah. So, so let's just go back to 19, 1990. So okay. between 1990 and, you know, the early part of 2020 has been roughly 30 years. Did you know that there's been three recession cycles? So July. I did 90, not know that. No. July 1990 through March 1991. That was a recession. March 2001 through November 2001, we experienced a recession. And of course, you know about the global financial crisis that took place from December 2007 to June 2008. So mm -hmm. about every 10 to 11 years you experience this in some form or fashion. So wait, like it sounds like we're due for one. In we are exactly. And so what, what I, what I'm getting ready to say is we're, we're definitely going to experience some boomers that are going to be looking to retire over the next three to five, eight years. Mm -hmm. But what we might also see is baby boomers deciding to work a little bit longer. If when they decide to retire, it looks like the economic, the, the economy is going to retract a little bit. And so here's, here's what I kind of see as an as a indicator, right? Not mm -hmm. necessarily a prediction, not necessarily a causation, but some, some factors to watch that may be correlations for us to keep in mind. Okay. For now, something that's good for us as individual consumers in, in this country. Household debt as a percent of GDP is down. Now, that's a good thing. However, corporate debt is at a record high. Currently. Currently. So okay. if, you see, if you see companies starting to struggle with cash flow, one of the ways they may look to reduce expenses is to lay people off. So that could be something that precipitates a recession. And then lastly, global economic growth is starting to slow. So for example, Germany's national um, GDP, their growth as a country is starting to cool a little bit. So is China. The reason I specifically mentioned those two countries when you think about geopolitical dynamics, when you think about global economy, mm -hmm. those two countries is one of our biggest buyers. So if they start to cool down in what they're buying from us, it's it going to trickle mean, down to us. Then. Exactly. So okay. you could have an example where people are ready to retire, but they may work a little bit longer because the conditions may not be conducive to them retiring. And then what about the fact that people are living a little bit longer and yes. they're a lot healthier than they were um, just 15 years ago. And so they might not even have to leave the workforce. Right. Right. So where the heck does that leave us then the Gen Xers and the millennials and above and beyond? Where does so it that leave us in the workforce? 
So that 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 ties back to uh, something you said earlier in the tee up around being uh, the sandwich generation, where mm-hmm. if individuals are living longer and we're we're starting families a little bit later, you know, in our middle age years, we're helping to look after aging parents. Yeah. When we're also raising our kids that are growing, and so you're going to see a lot more of that happening. Now, for us dealing with people that are living longer. You're probably right. We're probably going to see people in the workforce, you know, beyond 65. I mean, look at some of the presidential candidates that are running. Look at our president right oh, now. Oh, wow. These, yeah. these, these, are people that, these are people that are north of 70 years old. Mm, you're right. My goodness. And look, like you said, look at the current president and then look at some of the candidates. Yeah. So, you know, I, when I was... 10 12 years old i didn't I, I never thought about a president being close to 80 years old but the reality Neither is did but, I. but but given the dynamics you talked about um the advances in medicines uh people choosing to live healthier lifestyles uh, people smoke a lot less now um people, people are ex- much more responsible in their drinking better. they exercise more exactly Healthcare uh, is more readily available so exactly. people are living longer and especially let's let's not get it twisted the income disparity between the rich yes. and the poor and yes. just the availability of health care that means the more money you have the more longer you're likely to right. live right so and so let's 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 touch on something that that, that maybe maybe taboo to talk about, but it's it's a reality of uh, of the job markets. Okay, so you you mentioned you mentioned individuals are now living longer, especially when we um um choose healthier lifestyles and we make yes. smarter decisions, right? And we have safer hobbies, right? Um, yes. Uh huh. A lot of your boards they have caps on um how long you can serve or to what age. Okay, a lot of executive positions are starting to go the same route. So you can be fully able-bodied, still have your wits about you, but the board for Xerox or XYZ company may say, you know, once you reach 77, 75, 70, you know, nine, um, you can no longer serve on a board, even though you may be healthy. So what we may experience- now, I didn't is, know that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So- oh, yeah. Oh yeah. Is it do you know any ages of any particular companies that we may have heard of? Um so, I'm sure that's something we could Google, but Oh for sure. That's a um, fun fact. So, no. so so in my in my in my experience at uh Blue Cross Blue Shield of Tennessee, I was there for twelve years and I know around year nine or ten for me, we had the uh chairperson for the audit committee um roll out not because that person didn't want to be on the board anymore. There's just was a rule that was in place. This person had reached oh, the actual age, and you so gotta go. They rotated, <gasps> yeah. And it was it wasn't a cold or callous thing. It was just a rule that they set. And so you do see where sometimes we decide, you know what? There's probably a good opportunity to get some fresh set of eyes in here, fresh perspectives in here. And it may not necessarily be about, oh, you know what? You're 80 years old. You, you have no use to us. It may be a way to make sure that we keep that revolving door bringing in fresh ideas. So this is so, I, like so I don't want to couch it as you once you reach a certain age. Right. Yeah, because what, what I want to be careful is not to couch it as once you reach a certain age, nobody in society has almost anything to do with you. Right. Right. I understand. Okay. And so I, I guess it's like the Supreme Court, you know, that's a job you keep until the day that you die, no matter mm-hmm. what, until mm-hmm. you have to step down. So mm-hmm. that's interesting to know the cap. Is that fair necessarily? Not necessarily, but, but I do understand the, um, the dynamic in play because it's probably, the, the intent is probably to say, let's make sure that as people get older and, you know, things start to happen, right? Maybe, 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 the, the physical body wears down before the mind or vice versa. So it's not really intended to exclude people or kick people out. But I do see why companies who stakeholders are watching everything. The SEC is watching everything. For example, I remember about 18 months or so, ago or so, maybe last mm-hmm. year, um, Tesla's CEO, he sent a tweet. One simple tweet. He, I forget what the message was. But and he's always saying crazy stuff, right. though. The, the investors didn't like it. 
and the SEC didn't like it. And they actually, I think it was something around maybe making the company go back private after being public. I think that's what it yeah. was, something to that effect. And what, and Elon so, Musk? Name, right. Elon Musk, right. He's and quite so all an eccentric sudden, fellow. He is an eccentric fellow, but all of a sudden it triggered this investigation. And so what we're starting to see is we wanted to make sure that everybody is serving in the right capacity. And so sometimes people may go, as people get to a certain age, it may be a good time to consider, should we be thinking about how we can replace them? Maybe from a succession planning perspective, not necessarily, right. okay, you're old, I've got everything I need to get out of you, and I'll go away. Which sounds harsh, but then how do you make room for new blood? And by right. the way, guys, right. I am not endorsed by HBO, but there's a show called Succession that I just recommend everybody watch. Vizo, I I think you would just because you're so articulate about finances, you would absolutely love this show. One of the best I've seen ever. Just as a, as a side note, people. So Vizo, kind of bringing it back home a little bit. How, what, what do we need to start doing? Those of us that kind of see, because I know there's a lot of us that are going on our jobs and we know there's an old guy who has these antiquated views of mm -hmm. systems. He mm -hmm. is unwilling to change. Mm -hmm. And more than likely, this person could be our boss or, mm -hmm. um, you know, or we're the subordinate. What do we, what can I do? What can the people listen to this? What can we do to, I don't want to say protect ourselves from the baby boomers because it's not a war. It's not a war. Not a war. Definitely not. What can we do to start to protect and prepare ourselves and our finances? So um, I'll tackle it from a couple of perspectives. So first, let's start with... Um, the individual that is like, I'm working within a corporation, within a company, a hospital, whatever it may be. And, and, and I plan on being here for a little while. Right. Okay. Um, how do you position yourself to be not necessarily rebellious about the ecosystem that the company has created, but how do mm -hmm. you help be a champion for, how can I partner with HR to say, Hey, how do we get, how do we get intentional about strategic workforce planning? What tools do we have in place to make sure that maybe we implement 360 feedback if we don't have that. Not to, not to collect evidence on an older individual to try to push them out, but to say, we want all people of all walks of life to be in the workforce, but we need to be open to innovative ideas. We don't need to, be, we don't need to feel threatened by younger people who may have new ideas or maybe more energetic. A lot mm -hmm. of times what, what happens is, People have a tendency to assume I've seen this in some form of fashion. It won't work. So that's kind of a uh, limiting perception. Right. Another, another dynamic is, are we really looking at the retention data for this workforce, for this company? Are we really looking at how do we acquire talent? Because a lot of times what happens is you get in these situations where you have somebody that may have a very limited view and they're, in, they're a manager or a middle manager or an executive. And there's really nothing in place to challenge their thinking. It can be as simple as, I'm not going to consider Nadja, not because I don't know her, to be a mm -hmm. good talent that can add to the culture. She just went to a certain school, and I like hiring people from Duke. It can be as simple yeah. as that. Yeah. And as so we don't always, we don't, as simple as that. We, you know, it can be as simple as, that name Nadja, that name Vizo, that, that, that's unfamiliar to me. I don't know. Right. That's an unknown commodity. So it can be little things like that. So how do we how do we how do we ask those questions, pull at that while helping the company get better about you serve all type of people from all walks of life. Don't that you want like your a, like, don't, isn't that a diversity issue though? It like, could hey, be. It, it could be. It could be. It could be a diversity issue. But once you start boxing around diversity, what happens is people start going affirmative action women, people of color, but it's really a human condition. Because you could have right. you could have a you could have an organization with a hundred white women that are all five feet tall and they're all completely different. True. Completely different. Right, right. So going so back to the finance piece, yes, one money. of the things one of the things that I think we have to all own, especially the millennials and the Gen Z, is we have to understand exactly how does wealth get created and then typically it happens in a couple of ways it's it's inherited right mm -hmm. not all of us are, not all of us are going to come from a wealthy family most of us don't actually exactly what is Another the percentage way, 
of uh, those of us, is it like 5% or is there like 10% that, that um, are actually considered wealthy in this country? In this country, yes, yeah, probably 10% or less. 10%? Now, what's, what, really, what, really, what really gets tricky, though, about that, and then when you get to the ultra-wealth, ultra it's really rare. But what really gets tricky about that, it's one thing for you and your family to build wealth and pass it down to your kids. You know what gets really interesting is it drops off when you get to the third generation. What do you mean? So, for so example... I get super, super rich, wealthy in my lifetime, then the next one's going to be straight. But then the one after that is going to, my money's going to be blown. So what happens is, so, so for example, you, you have a business, you develop that business, you grow that business, you do pretty good. Let's say that business still exists. Um, maybe you have in the state $10, 15000000 million to pass on to the next generation. Mm-hmm. Your kids may or may not have the same passion as you for that business you started. They may not have the same features as you. They may not like that you bought 100 acres with a lake in Mississippi. So when you die, they might sell it and just take the oh. You know, it's, it's interesting. I was telling my husband that I was going to talk to you today, and he mentioned something similar to that. You know, I was telling him the gist of the conversation, and he was like, you know, I was reading this article, and it was talking about a lot of the immigrants, especially the Asian immigrants that have come over here and their children are first generation asian americans and he's like you know they open up um i guess traditionally nail shops laundromats and the chinese restaurants you know we see mm-hmm. we all have patronized one of these businesses at some point in our lives but they're like these people work their entire lives built these businesses and now they're going back to their home countries back to their own motherland but their kids are not wanting to pick up the family business because guess what? They're right. going to work at Google. They're getting jobs right. in tech. They're starting right. their own companies. Exactly. And so I see exactly what you're saying. Um, that's a kind of scary thing, though. You know, you see, but I guess you can't really predict what the young people are going to want to do can't, after you. You can't. And, and I guarantee you, a lot of baby boomers are saying that about a lot of us, right? And so, mm. so, so to be <laughs> fair, so to be fair, we were kind of in that generation where you know. We, we were told that our, our, our opinion matters. And as human beings, our opinion does matter. We right. were told that each one of us is super valuable and super unique. And so what has happened is we've created a dynamic where regardless of what you do, there should be a certain set of like lifestyle experiences you have, especially in this country, you know, the, the first world problems, where it's okay if you want to be an underwater basket weaver. Nobody mm-hmm. should judge you for that. That doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be successful or be wealthy or live <laughs> right. a quality of life, right? And so, and so I'm pretty sure... That's and that's a risk you take when you say... Exactly. I'm it's a risk you take. And I'm, and, I'm, and I'm pretty sure there's a group somewhere on Facebook or IG for underwater basket weavers, right? I'm, I'm Absolutely. And to actually, like, call that out, they're going to run to their safe space and be like, this is what I'm comfortable with. Not everybody is comfortable <laughs> with taking risks, right? right. So we've, cre- we've created a society where don't necessarily like taking risks some of us do some of us don't so uh, another example of taking risk is there's somebody probably working in a job they know it's just like what you described i work for some people they may be closed-minded they may be stuck in the way things worked in the 80s or 90s but they're not comfortable starting their business they're not comfortable risking whatever little capital they have some of us are for the ones of us that are we have a really steep hill to climb. I'm an advocate for entrepreneurship, but I yeah. also am I also am not naive. I do realize the big box companies, they, they stifle the innovation. They block it. I mean, we don't talk about it. We know it happens, but we're real quiet about like how Walmart and Amazon continues to diversify their product offerings. And it means small businesses get cannot compete in it. Right. It's so it's nearly impossible to right. compete. And so and so a lot of baby boomers, they don't realize just like they don't like us talking about are, are you guys gonna retire one day and it's offensive to them, they don't realize that it's also offensive to us to say, Why won't you guys go start your own business instead of working for companies? And they don't realize it's really difficult to start a small business in twenty twenty compared to maybe you starting an auto repair shop in nineteen seventy. And the model has completely changed. Completely changed. And it changes every two to three years. Right. Because Because of technology. Because Because of of the innovation. But so wait, are the baby boomers, 
are they the ones responsible for the technological innovations and what that mean? I, you know, I think of the Steve Jobs. That stuff mm-hmm. didn't happen during the millennial generation. That happened with the people. Was what he was he considered a baby boomer? I believe so, right? I believe so. He put he probably would have been on the very the very last the tail. Yeah, nineteen forty six and nineteen sixty four. I I I believe I don't know his date of birth, but yeah, I'm thinking somewhere. And then the guy that invented Amazon is he a boomer? No, we don't have to guess. I can go and look up their dates of birth right now. But yeah, so we got to look at what these boomers have put in place and what we, the next generation, are doing with their innovations. And yeah, I was, I was, I would say, a stronghold. I, yeah, I, it can be. I would say that in every generation, you have those futurists, you know, like those Steve Jobs. Okay. Right. You, you're going to have your futurists, right? Right, um, right. You know, that, that was a time where I'm pretty sure the establishment did not like Bill Gates. They probably didn't like his, his business models and the way he, he did business deals, you know, back in the 70s and the 80s. Right. Because, you know, he was young when he, when he came out. Oh, and, and by the way, um, everybody that's listening, um, Bezos, Jeff Bezos, the founder of Jeff Amazon, Bezos. he was born in 1964, which okay. is the last year of Baby yep. Boomer. So tail in, tail in. Yep. You know, I guess he qualifies. He's in He there. qualifies. He qualifies. <laughs> so so yeah. you're going to have in every generation the people that, that their minds are so far out that the work that they envision, it won't be realized in their lifetime, but they're definitely going to get the ball rolling. Yeah, yeah. But to your point, there's millions of other people. And so let, let's, just, let's just keep it completely 100. There are likely people in the baby boomer generation, they like things exactly the way they are. And it's not because, mm. it's not because they, don't, they don't want to change. This is what they know. This is, this what, is what they com- know. This is what they're comfortable with. Right? Just like well, I'm sure by the time we get in our 50s and 60s, we're going to remember how things were in the 20s and 30s. But there's going to be somebody born in the 2030s. They're going to come to us in like, you know, 2045, 2055 with an idea. Damn. And we might struggle with understanding where they are because their idea won't manifest to 2100. Right. Okay. I see what you're saying. So when we drill all the way back to the familial level, mean, meaning the things that happen in our home, I remember he- hearing a few years ago someone saying oh by the time our parents are no by the time we our generation you and i and everyone listening to this by the time we begin drawing our social security there will be nothing left and it's because of the baby boomer um generation does that have any truth or was that like some crazy rumor that somebody started no 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 no, there's truth to it so the way that works in a nutshell is you, you can almost compare it to like on a local level. Um, let's take your, your property taxes, right? Yeah. A portion of your property taxes that you pay for property you own goes to fund the school system in your county. Mm-hmm. If I build up a general fund, but then I borrow against that fund for other things, right? That don't pan out. Now I have a shortfall on that. So then you go, that school has mold. Why can't we repair that? Why has it been years? And the reality is you've been paying your property taxes. I've been paying my property taxes. Money has been allocated for that very purpose, but that money has been used for something else that you and I weren't necessarily privy to, and the money isn't there. Mm. Now that's a macro, that's a micro level. So bring it back right. up to the macro level for social security, exact same concept. You have to remember the, 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 the true intent of this is you pay into it over your working years. But maybe mm. you die, maybe you die before you ever pay out. Ouch. Does that make sense? Ouch. Okay. I think I got it. So think oh. of it this way. Think, think of it this way. Money in a bank account to you is a good thing. I got mm-hmm. cash. If I need to go take out a loan or, you know, buy my kids something, get, you know, get my daughter some braces, I got money in the bank. It's an asset to you. Right. But you putting money in the bank is actually a liability to the bank. So it's Why is it a liability to the bank? Because at any given time, you can be like, I want my money back. Oh, and then my money's gone from them, and it's right. bada bing, bada boom. Now you know why if you go and say, I want to withdraw $10,000, it takes a minute, because as soon as you put money in, they repackage it and loan it to people. They only have to right. hold 10%, they only have to hold 10% <laughs> of what you put in the bank. Right. 
what can I do so that I don't get crushed in this thing between the boomers and the people coming after me? Because, I mean, you made a whole heck of a lot of good points. The boomers, they already have all of their stuff pretty much secured. And they are the one that put these systems in place and they're pretty immobile. And then we got these next generation coming behind us. What do those of us do that are right here, right now? You know, we're in the workforce. A couple kids. things. Okay. A, a couple things. Um, as, as best you can, always look for good management. Like if you're going to work inside a company, you chase good management. You don't chase money. Mm -hmm. So that's the first thing. Good management would always find a way to have healthy profit margins and there'll be an opportunity for you to move up. It may not be when you want to, but the opportunities will be there. The other thing would be we have to be better about being financially disciplined, right? We may not have came from a family that set us down at the dinner table and told us, here's how credit cards work. Here's right. why budgeting and saving is valuable. But to your point, technology has made all of this easy to understand. We can research things, and in five minutes, we can understand what's, what's the best account to put our money in that'll give us a, a decent uh, return. So we have to be more financially disciplined. Another thing is we have to be super serious about eliminating debt that we can eliminate, right? Now, if you're a person that just graduated from, you know, um, Vanderbilt University and you owe 150000 in student loan debt, yeah, it may take you a minute to pay, pay off that loan. Preferably, right. you got a degree that can service the debt. So I'm not Hopefully. saying... I'm not saying, oh, well, you, you, you have $70,000 in student loan debt. You need to pay that next year. But what I am saying is, do we have to get the brand new Volvo or the, <laughs> one, or, or the one we have that's paid for, but it's six years old? Should we drive it for two or three more years, pay ourselves that car note before we get the next car, right? Another is one is, owning, let me ask you this. Is homing a, owning a home in today's uh, market a liability or an asset? Okay, so the answer, the short answer is it is an asset. The longer answer is it depends on the market, right? Because okay. some markets are more volatile than others. Typically, owning a home is a good thing. They right. typically appreciate. What tends to happen is sometimes things that happen outside of our control will impact that, right? So, for example, right now, in certain parts of Detroit is owning a home an asset or a liability to you, right? In Flint, Michigan, right? Maybe certain parts of rural Mississippi, right? But then mm -hmm. there's certain markets where the, it's probably always going to grow at 2 to 3% um, annually. Charlotte, um, the Atlanta area, Dallas. Dallas. Right. Yeah. Right. So it depends on the market and it depends on the location. Generally, my rule, I'm, I'm an advocate of people um, owning homes because you can build equity. What I caution people is you have to be mindful about borrowing against the house. Because mm. a lot of times, a lot of times people will take out, you know, home equity line of credits to do things that maybe they don't have to do to pay for a vacation. Right. They, it's the, it's the, it's their 10th wedding anniversary. Their wife always wanted to go to Paris. They take out a loan against the house to take her to Paris for a week. And that's a beautiful thing. We should experience life. But I don't know if you should mortgage your financial future for certain things. Does that make sense? Absolutely. What does this generation do? Because I, I, we do see a lot of baby boomers that maybe did not make good decisions in their youth and in their uh, primes of their lives. Mm -hmm. And I'm seeing a lot of baby boomers these days. Because, you know, back in, the, back in the day, our grandparents owned their homes outright. Yeah, they did. Um, you know, you could always go to grandma and granddaddy's house. And when they passed on, the house was still in the family in, in some cases. I'm seeing a lot of baby boomers that don't own their homes. That's what are they, That's what are they going to do? Because they can't keep paying eight nine hundred dollar rent when they get on their fixed income uh, which is inevitable what, what, what's going to happen so so it's funny that you mentioned how you know 30 40 years ago you know our grandparents they owned their own home not, not only did yeah. they own their own homes but when they died it was like 10 20 30 thousand dollars in cash in the house because they were old enough to remember not to trust banks because of the great depression mm, yeah Ooh. but you and but you but you and i don't have that we believe no. in direct deposit right we believe, <laughs> we, we, we believe in moving money around we don't even touch cash nowadays we don't even we touch cash we don't even touch cash to. but your great granny when she died i guarantee you somebody knew to get in that house before somebody broke in to find that got, stash of cash find that stash right yeah right 
So we're, we're at a place now to where life is a lot more complicated. And it goes back to my earlier point where we talked about housing costs is just grown, grown, grown. Food costs has grown. The cost of college has grown. The cost of living is just so, you know, out of control at this point. To, to, to your point, we have, a, we, have, we have a pocket of baby boomers that are not ready for retirement, which is why they want to continue to work. And it could be for a variety of reasons. Right? Oh, they just have to continue to work. They Maybe have, they're supporting... They have to. They have to. Uh, you know, I see a lot of them now taking care of their grandchildren. As, of course, as of course. Oh, they exactly. just made bad decisions and they don't own their home and they cannot afford not to work or they'll be homeless. What are these people going to do, though, when because it's, age it's is catching tough. up? What age are they going to do? Age is catching up. And to be honest with you, it goes back to that sandwich uh, theory that you talked about. It's going to be on us. The, the, it's going to be on niece, us. It's going to be on us, the great nieces and great nephews, the grandchildren, the children. Right. So, so the baby so, boomers so, are the ones that put all these rules in place, spiked up college tuition, caused the housing crises, and we're going to be expected to take care of them. That pisses me off. But think about it, though. Th- think about how we got there, though, right? You know, we went through a period. Okay, so th- think about this. Your, your, your grandmother, maybe your great-grandmother, when, when they were coming of age, early 20s, they didn't use credit cards. That was abnormal. But then we got into the late 70s, early 80s. Credit cards got introduced. Credit card central. Yes. Credit card central. And then we got into this phase where the the malls expanded. And what was the phrase? Shop till you you drop. drop And swipe that credit card. Swipe the credit card. And so what what we went through was a period of about 20 to 25 years where the nation's philosophical approach to life was to spend, enjoy life. You're always going to have a job. You're always going to be able to make money. Although logic and reason tells you, you're going to have periods where you make money. You're going to have periods where you don't make as much money. And so what we should be doing, and this is why I challenge the uh, Gen Z and the millennials, when you're Mm -hmm. in a season where you and your spouse you and your siblings are making money, that's actually the time to save. When you hit a recession and things are tight and people are trying to liquidate stuff because they're struggling, that's, that's the actually the time to buy. That's the time to buy. But so we're basically, we need to save our money for other people's misfortunes. So we can go ahead and buy that house or that car sure. or, or whatever, or that business. For sure. For sure. I, I'm, I'm just going to keep it completely 100 with you. I know a guy who actually became a millionaire because of the Great Recession. He made good mm-hmm. money, and he made good money in the 90s, and he was saving his money and being really good, a really good steward, driving cars that were 18, 12 years old. But then that Great Recession happened, and you know what happened? Um, small business, farmers, they had land, trucks. Everybody was liquidating. They, ha- they, they had to liquidate because their small business loan got called due. And so here's a $70,000 work truck. He's selling for 35000 just to get the loan paid off, to get the bank off his back. Or he sold land oh. where he sold land where instead of getting um, the market value per, per acre, maybe he got 60, 70 uh, cents on the dollar. And so then when oh. the economy rebounded, when the economy rebounded, this guy who acquired all that stuff, he just flipped it. So he bought 200 acres of land. And he sold it back. Yeah, sold it back so, to somebody else at market value. And so all he did was sat on, sat on things that the economy rebounded. And so what I'm saying is we can't always predict what's going to happen. Like right now, we don't know if the decision with the military strike we recently had, we don't know if it's going to cause World War III or not. So we can't always predict things. But what we do know is there's a cyclical nature to how things work. And to assume that you're always going to be healthy, to assume that you're always going to have a good paying job, to assume that like life won't throw you in an emergency that correct everything. That's a it may terrible, take you irresponsible years. assumption. But we do that. But we do that. Think about the savings rates. Most Americans would be in financial ruin if they had to come up with a thousand dollars for an unexpected expense. Just think about that. Think about that. Mm. Think about that. Mm. So earlier you mentioned, um, and my husband recently just started trading, and he's very enthusiastic about it. And you mentioned something he talks a lot about, futures. Futures. And 
I I pride myself on educating my audience. And of course, I don't know a whole lot about a lot, but I know people like you that are ex- experts. So if a person was interested in making additional income by investing, give them some quick ways, some quick things that they can go and look into. Okay. So th- there's all kinds of options you, know, you can do. You, it could be as simple as setting up an account through online through a company like E-Trade. It could be a little bit, a little bit more involved with nuance where maybe you work with an individual from like um, Northwestern Mutual or Schwab. It's all, it's all, it's all based on what you're comfortable doing. So if you're an individual that, that that's ready to start playing in that space, the first mm-hmm. rule is only invest money that you're absolutely willing to lose and it won't affect your quality of life. No, oh, and the only fact only that invest- a lot of people. Yes. Only invest money no. that you can absolutely lose and it would not affect your quality of life. And here's why I say this. If you go back and you look at some of the effects of the uh, global financial crisis, the Great Recession, you're going to see that the, the suicide rate spiked. And the reason why is people bet a lot in the, in the market. And when it tanked, they didn't see a way out. And you have people jumping from their buildings at work, killing themselves. And what you find mm. out later on was they were up to their eyeballs in debt. And some of the things they invested in didn't pan out. And it was because they did things like, I bought a house, and I saw the value of that house going up, so I bought another house, leveraging the house I already owned, because the value of a house is only going to go up, right? But then there was a housing bubble that crashed. And all of the housing... And interest rates tripled. Right, in- right, now- right, exactly. And so there's nothing wrong with taking risks. We're a country that's known for taking risks, right? That's what yes. we do. Yeah. That's what we do. Yeah. But there's also taking strategic risk. And so that's what we got to get to. The other thing is don't invest in things you don't understand. Mm. Right. Makes sense. Makes a lot of sense. And invest in what you like, basically, even something that right. interests you. No? Yes. Yes. Okay. So, so for example, and this is this is just this is just a generic one. Let's take Nike for example. I think Nike trades around one hundred and five, one hundred and ten dollars now. I may be a little bit off, but it's definitely above one hundred. But mm-hmm. Nike didn't always trade at that level. A couple of years right. ago, Nike was at like seventy-seven dollars. But a couple of years before that, it was at like fifty-four dollars. But let's just think about this. There's an adult right now, probably 40, 45 years old. So he would have been an adult in his or her late, late 90s. They would have been an adult. Think about all the shoes from Nike. They, the same shoe they bought over and over and over again. Right. Th- over 20 years. But just think, instead of buying all those shoes, you bought stock in, ni- in Nike in like 1998, 2000. Oh. You probably would have got mm. the stock. At $22, $25, $30, and it's now worth almost four times that. That's the type of thinking we got to get it. We got to get to that. Point. Okay. And I guess it's kind of risky nowadays because uh, it's not like it exactly is rocket science to not, have not. your company entered into the market and publicly traded. Not saying that my company's publicly traded because it's not, right. but you know, we're seeing all these companies that are um, making themselves available for public trading. You don't know where to invest. So that's good advice. Invest in what yeah. you like Let's and see where there. it goes. Don't, don't, don't yeah. yes. be smart start about there. it for sure. Do your research, and, but invest and, and, in what and, you like. And you always find what you're looking for. That works in your personal life that works in your professional life, and that will work in your investing life. So, for example, yes. in, your per- in your personal life, you suspect one of your friends is being fake, you start digging, you'll find what you're looking for. <laughs> right. Same if thing you, with that stock. <laughs> exactly. If you're, if you're trying to figure out when is a good time to, like, pull out or get in, you have to pay attention. Yeah. I'm, going to give, I'm going to give everybody a clue. I hope everybody's listening. From now on, after you hear this podcast, moving forward, just, just test it. Pay attention when the Congress is in recess. Watch how the mm-hmm. market moves when, the, when Congress is in recess versus when Congress comes back or during an election year. Here's what I mean. The real mm-hmm. big 
money investors. They don't like uncertainty. They don't like maybe a new law coming to effect that's going to change the way they make money. So when Congress is in recess, guess what they do? They run to the market, make some money. The market always moves when Congress is not in session and could potentially make laws that impact them. But you won't find wait, it. Wait, wait, wait. Let me just make sure it. I understood that properly. The market is more prone to moving when Congress is not in session, meaning recession and, and what what other people not, not, not necessarily recession, but what I'm saying oh. is what I'm saying is big block investors, right? People who, who buy hundreds of thousands of shares of a stock at a time and move in out, the ones who day trade. They, when Congress is not in session, meaning they're not voting on new laws, they're not creating perceptions of a company going, going under or going up, they're going to view that as stability. They're going to put more money in the market because they like stability and they like the perception of stability. Right. Okay. When, when, you, when, you, when, when you see things like, I'm not sure what Congress is going to do and the way they're going to write a new law to impact this industry, I'm going to take my money out because I don't know what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And then once you see things settle, you see the lobbyists starting to get their way, then you see the markets move again. But you don't know that if you're not patient enough and disciplined enough to find the signal and all the noise that's out there. Okay. Now, last question. And um, because we have kind of been a little tough on the baby boomers. Um, of course, of course. But for yeah. those of us that are listening right now that are baby boomers or those of us that have parents that are baby boomers, you know, we want these people to be, we want this group to be okay. We want them to fare well. We want them to be comfortable. And it's safe to say that they are in the twilight of their lives as a group. Mm-hmm. What do they need to be doing today? What, you know, what would make them okay? So, so, so this is probably going to sound counterintuitive to the way we were raised and taught. And, and I realized how I was going to sound. Baby boomers have to get to a place. And I'm, I'm painting with broad strokes. And I know I shouldn't do that because, you know, you can't just box an entire people group yeah. together one way. But one yeah. of the things baby boomers got to be a little bit better about, it's okay to focus on you. A lot of baby boomers have done things like, I want the best for my daughter. I want the best for my son. If that means barring against my house for them to go to med school or go mm. to law school, I'm going to do it. And what happens is they co-sign for these loans. Maybe their kids finish med school or law school or not, but they're still on the hook for those loans. And what happens is the social security check starts getting garnished to pay for those loans. Ooh. So you got a lot of baby boomers, they're suffering in silence and nobody knows about it. Because they have invested in the children and right. the and money just did not pay off. Out. Exactly. And so, so, so to a lot of them, they are working. Maybe they don't want to work, but a lot of them, they just might have to work. And they're going to be quiet about it. One of the things that, um, that really touched me was I read a report, and I'm trying to remember what, what, what site I got it from. But it talked about, like, it was just studying the habits of, like, older people. And it was, mm-hmm. a lady who, it was a lady who was buying a lot of cat food. And so, like, if you just look at the data and her transactions, you would think she had a lot of cats. That wasn't the case. She was what eating, was she doing? She was, she was eating the cat food because she couldn't afford food. Oh, oh God. Yeah. Hmm. And so, and so, this is not to say that all baby boomers are struggling because that's, that's definitely not the case. But my point is, there are a lot of baby boomers. Yes, it's easy to say you've been working 30, 40 years. You should be well off. You should be able to go off into the sunset. Man, you would. One would think. One would think. You've been working your entire life. You should have something to show for you it, should, right? But think about this though. Maybe they've battled cancer two or three times, so they were in and out of work. Maybe they had maybe they, maybe they were in a tragic car accident and had to learn to walk again. We don't know we don't know their story. Maybe right? they had a gambling habit, you know. Exactly. So exactly. Many exactly. Babies. exactly. Or maybe they just were lazy and didn't want to work. And it's now possible. it's possible. Right. And, and so you here, know, you just the, never know. And here's the thing I always I always leave people with. You know, we 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 like to assume that because a person is older, they're well off. But the fact remains is the average balance of a 401k is right at $100,000. That includes everybody. That's the, that's the person who's in year one in their career. That's the wealthy people. 
that's the baby boomers. So if the average balance of a 401k is 100000 that means somebody is close to retirement. And they're not financially ready for retirement. That's the reality. That's a very scary, bleak feeling reality. You're like, hey, I know in five years I might be physically debilitated. I won't be able to work. Um, I don't have enough to pay my rent so or buy food, you know, for to sustain the rest of my life. What the hell am I going to do? That is a scary reality. This is why this is why I wish. Particularly um, in the black community, because other communities do this. This is why I wish we mm-hmm. practice group, group economics. Because do we has, really but, practice if, if we look at Americans as a whole, do we really practice group economics as a whole because i can say there are some sects that i know of yeah like absolutely like i had a person from the jewish community a certain sect oh, of yes. the jewish community oh, yes. on the podcast and she literally broke it down exactly how they groomed them their in that's from right. grandma to that's right but you know when i look at black americans white americans um maybe not a lot, a lot of the first generation people because they are they seem better prepared than a lot of us that are just regular plain old Americans. But have you really seen other groups practice that? And not, you know, excluding Jewish and Asians because typically we know what they do. Right. But let's just say white folks. Like how do white people practice group economics um, in comparison to black people? So... Um, white, I'm even more specific... Um, Americans that have been here for multi generation, black yeah. and white Americans. Right. So, so I think I think the reality is, typically, white people benefit more from the system than black people. So they're they're a little more equipped to be able to practice group, group economics because. The mm-hmm. system is designed to work in their favor. That does not mean that all white people are capitalizing on white privilege or experience uh, what they will call white privilege because there are white people that may they may be struggling, they may be poor, and they don't feel like the system is benefiting them. Um, right. So, so, so I start there. But, but I think I think what we so struggle... So you saying generally speaking, uh, right. if a system... And, and, you know, I guess that kind of boils down to how deep do we want to go into this... Right. Uh, intra-racial barriers of socio-economic. Right. So, right, exactly. And so, and so one of the things I think about for us, I, I, I think where we, where we fall to the wayside as, as, as black Americans is a lot of white Americans, a lot, a lot of people in your Asian communities, uh, your, your Jewish communities, they get the concept of uh, communal economic activities, group economics. Mm, right. Black folk tend to be tribal. Here's what I mean. Mm-hmm. You got the Johnson family, and then you got the Williams. The Johnsons see that the Williams went to Cancun. So now, the family that's watching it, the Johnsons, now they got to go to Niagara Falls. Because oh. I, you see what I'm saying? You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah, so, so keep it up with the Joneses, as right, they call Right, and so, right. Exactly. <laughs> keep it up with the Joneses. And so... And I'm not saying it doesn't happen in other communities. I'm sure it does at a much grander level. But, but what I've come to realize is they will come together and say, we want to make sure that we set up companies, we set up industries that benefits our future generations. We don't always do that. And when we do it, we always dictate it, right? All right, mm-hmm. I've set up this company. You and I, we're partners. It's time for our kids to take over. If they don't want to do it exactly the way we do, if if they don't prove themselves exactly the way we want it, we make them sit and wait. Mm-mm. And then I've, drive I've the company it. to the pits because, exactly. because their exactly. innovation is too much or we don't understand it. You know, that antiquated way of thinking in black business, Latino business, white right. business, brown, red. I mean, I, I just know, and I, you know, this is not a older versus younger generation it's not not at all i didn't want that to be like that not at all but you know i i I remember you know i find myself saying it is almost 40 years old now like oh my god this younger generation that's so lazy and i'm like naja you sound like an old lady but i get i get what our forefathers and our trailblazers mean when they say that because we're different and we are moving at a different pace yeah you know we're slowing down as to where these young folks are 
um, going 100 miles an hour. But right. man, we could, you know, right. we could go on all day and day and day. People, I hope that you all got something valuable from this podcast. Vizo, anything that I did not ask you that you wanted to add before we wrap up? I would just say that uh, people, as you continue to figure out what your financial future is, how to get to the next level, be true to you. Try not to be influenced by all the things you see on social media. Most of us are posting the highlights, none of the mm. lowlights. Yeah. So it's, it's okay if you didn't go out with them. It's okay if you had to sit at home and eat cereal for a week to make sure you got that bill paid or save some money. Little things become big things. And little dollars invested or saved becomes big dollars invested and saved. And that's where I'll leave it. Mm, perfect. That's a great talk. All right, everybody. You have listened to a classic. This is, I feel like this is going to be one of our classic episodes because it's so different than what we normally discuss. So, everybody, this is Naja Hall signing out. I know I'm crazy. I'll see you again Tuesday after next because y'all know I ain't going to do this every week. I know I'm crazy on iTunes, Spotify, and everywhere else um, you listen to your podcast every other Tuesday. Thank you so much. I love you. I know I'm crazy. I know I'm crazy. I know I'm doing crazy. I know I'm crazy. Now's your hall.